Oh, I love that movie, right? You shoot your eye out, kid. I think I watch that movie every single year. I just love, you know, it's the Red Rider BB gun, carbide action with a compass in the stock and the thing that tells time, right? You just, you, you got to watch that and you get so excited, just as excited as Ralphie is and how he's anticipating this, this thing, this gift. He's just so, so excited about it. And I think that's like just kind of embodies our whole Christmas, you know, all the chaos of what's going on. Everything in our lives is totally different. And yet there's this anticipation of this awesome holiday that's about to come up here in a week. And I think it just kind of embodies um, Christmas for us. The decorations, the parties. For me, it's about the food. You know, I like the food. I like a lot of it. Um, And, uh, you know, obviously the gifts, you know. All about getting the gifts. Or maybe giving the gifts if you're that kind of person. But most of us are about getting them. And and how we, we go crazy to find that perfect gift for that perfect person, right? And so, you know, uh, what is it? Back in, back in the 70s, it was the pet rock, right? Wasn't that something that like flew off the shelves? They sold like millions of these little rocks, a pet rock. And uh, in the 90s, I remember the uh, Tickle Me Elmo, right? That thing was amazing, right? It would, you'd stand up. My grandma still has one. We go, every time we go there, we'd make him go up, sit up down, sit down, stand up, laugh. It's just hilarious. They sold those things for $30 a piece on the shelf, but people would pay upwards of a couple thousand dollars on the street just to get one because they had to have that perfect gift. The search is, is almost more important than the actual gift itself um, when it comes to Christmas gifts. Today, it's uh, the Rock Me Elmo. Have you seen that they brought Elmo back and now he's got like rock star things? Like he can play his instrument or he has a little microphone. And he can interact with other Elmo instruments, so that's kind of cool. So he's more creative than he used to be. Um, and so they're bringing Elmo back. They also have, uh, what's the, I think the hottest thing this year is the Kindle Fire, right? Those things are flying off the shelves. Um, obviously, anything that has an Apple logo on it, people love those, right? Um, so there's all this stuff, all these Christmas gifts, all these things that we're doing this season to get ready. Um, you know, I, I was reading a, a quote from Steve Jobs. You know, I was just thinking about this Apple thing. And just reading this quote from Steve Jobs, and uh, he's quoted in his um, biography or autobiography um, about his, wor- his work at Apple, and he says, um, people don't know what they want until you show it to them. People don't know what they want until you show it to them. And I'm thinking about Christmas and how I didn't know I needed this little doll that would stand up and giggle and laugh and roll on the floor until somebody showed it to me. And now it's like, you know, I've got to have the Rock Me Elmo. And uh, so he's probably right. Steve Jobs is probably right in that regard. Um, But this time of year, we're all about searching, right? We're all about searching. It's not just for gifts. Um, Sometimes we're searching for for that perfect family moment. You know, if you've, everybody in here is part of a family in some way, maybe you've tried to get that perfect Christmas photo, right? I was at my grandmother's 90th birthday party yesterday, and uh, so we're all there, and it's like, you know, seven generations. It wasn't seven, but it felt like it. And, uh, and, and so everybody's there, and, and, and we go to get this family shot, and it was like all-out chaos, but we all wanted to have that perfect moment where everyone was smiling at the camera, and we searched and searched and searched. We never got it, but we tried. Um, and so you've got the, the search for those relational moments, those family connections where we drive all over um, in a couple weeks after Christmas is over, we're all going to be searching for that perfect physical uh, nirvana where we, we get back to our normal body weight, you know. And, and so, you know, we search for things this time of year, and we maybe uh, are even searching spiritually, which I think is something that's the most critical this season. Because after all, it's not about the presence and it's not about the gifts. It's about 
the baby. And so today we're in the third message of our Life Interrupted series where we're exploring what it means to have our plans and our lives interrupted by God's plan and his desire for our lives and obeying and following in those moments. And so the ushers are going to come forward. They're going to pass out some Bibles. Um, I encourage you to take one. If you don't have one, you can take it home and keep it. If you want to just borrow it and read along while you're here, um, feel free to do that. I know the words in that book changed my life, so I know they can change yours too. Um, There's also a card in your program I want to remind you about um, that was mentioned earlier. It just says, God interrupted my life when. And while you're getting ready for your offering at the end of service, if you want to take some time and just during this message, if you want to stop and write something on there, I would encourage you to do that. You can just tune me out and just write about God. That's awesome. Um, But divine interruptions have a huge impact on our lives because if we don't follow them or we don't even recognize them, then we're going to miss out on these opportunities to do something great in the kingdom of God, something great um, with what God has done for us. And we started looking at the interruption that this little baby caused in the lives of all the people of the first Christmas. And so two weeks ago, it was Mary and Joseph, right? And we looked at how Mary and Joseph, they decided that this interruption that they would choose to obey and to serve. Those are the two big things that they did. And last week, the interruption Jesus was to the shepherds. They chose to stop what they were doing, and they chose to go and worship him. And and today, we're going to look at two more characters, uh, one set in particular who went on an all-out search for this baby Jesus. And so we're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. And uh, it says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. So there's two characters in this passage, right? There's there's King Herod, and then there's the Magi, okay? And at the end of this message, I hope that you've considered which side of the fence are you on? Which camp are you standing with? Who are you going to try to mimic? Are you going to try and mimic the way King Herod responded? To this interruption, or are you going to try and mimic the way the Magi uh, responded? Now, Herod, you should know a little bit about Herod. He's uh, called Herod the Great, probably because he was a great ruler. He ruled over the Jews. And um, he was, uh, during the time, I think it was 37 uh, B.C. to 4 A.D., so right around the time of Christ, you know, he would have been the ruler in charge. And he was a ruthless, ruthless guy, right? He was effective probably because he was ruthless. And uh, one of the things that he did, he murdered anybody who was in his way, including his wife, his sons, and his relatives. He wanted to make sure that nobody took the throne from him. He wanted to be king and no one else to be king. And so he gets this interruption with these wise men who show up and they say, hey, where is the one born king of the Jews? And to us, that would be good news. But to Herod, that was not good news. Okay, they, I'm sure that that just sent him into a tizzy. And in fact, we'll read a little bit later about what he did. The Magi, who are the wise men, the Bible doesn't, they don't really tell us a lot about them, but they're the other characters in this passage. And so, you know, we assume that there's three of them because I think there's three gifts, but it doesn't say how many there are. And in fact, research would kind of more validate the fact that there could have been up to 12 of them, you know, that they traveled around in groups. But these guys were like, um, think of them like a combination of an astrologer, astronomer, um, a philosopher, a teacher, a blue screen. Um, 
<laughs> a physician, they, all these different things. These guys were wise, they were educated, and they dealt with deep theological questions. Um, they were loaded. These guys had tons of money. You know, most people probably rode on a, cam- on a donkey, but these guys rode on the Cadillac of the day, which would be a donkey, I mean, a, a camel. Man, I'm getting all mixed up. They rode on camels, um, and they probably traveled in groups of up to 300 people. Huge caravans, right? And they were in, they were in a place, maybe a modern-day Iraq-type area, and they were headed towards uh, Bethlehem. So that's a journey of about 800 miles, all right? So they've got 300 people. They are moving over 800 miles, right? And they're probably spending countless amounts of whatever their money was to be able to get to see this baby Jesus. And one of the things that convicted me most about the story, and I just want to share it with you, is six miles from Bethlehem is the great city of Jerusalem, which happens to be the religious center of anything that would have to do with anything about the God of the Bible. But do we read about people who were in a relationship with God, who knew God? Do we read about them leaving their, their home and walking half a day's walk to go visit this, this Savior that was entering their world? Mm-mm. We read about people who are traveling halfway across the world, spending half of a year, potentially, walking to go visit this baby. And so I just, that really convicted me that, that knowing about God doesn't mean that we are in a relationship with him enough that we would even walk half a day's distance to go see him. I just find that very ironic, the, uh, the contrast between the two. And so this morning, you need to know that you're driven by a search. And so if you're writing things down, I encourage you to write down um, that I'm driven by my search and the question, what am I searching for? Um, we all search. God built us that way. So what are we searching for? Anybody in here ever bought a car? I've, uh, I've bought a few. My, my last one's almost to 250,000 miles, so I'm pretty excited about that. I don't have to buy one. I haven't had to buy one recently. But, but when I go out to buy a car, I get a little stressed because I step on the lot. There's so many different cars, and I don't know which one to buy. And they're all a little bit different. They all cost a little bit different. And I, I get really panicky. I, my wife, she makes fun of me. Um, one time we went to this lot, and I was like, okay, I got this, babe. Don't worry, I got this. And we step in there, and I start like started trying to haggle, and of course, I have no poker face. I'm like, my inability to, uh, to haggle is almost just, it's, it's oh, kind of makes me shudder. And so anyway, I step in there, and I had no idea uh, what I was getting into. She's like, hey, we need to leave and get out of here. So she pulls me out the door, right? But when I go to search for a car, I feel the most ready and the most excited about that experience when I have decided what kind of car I want, and I've decided how much I want to spend right? I'm still waiting for that Lamborghini in my price range, but, I'm, but I think, I think that when I'm ready for the search, um, that it's a lot better off. And the wise men, they were, des- were all designed to search, but they knew what they were searching for. And so the question is, what are you searching for this morning? They were searching for God, and I want you to know if you're taking notes to write this down, when I search for God, uh, he will be found. It's just a fact. When I search for God, he will be found. Jeremiah 29, 13 says this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me. When, uh, when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. That's such a great promise, you know? What a great promise that when we seek God, we will find him. That is an absolute truth that you just need to know this morning. If you do not know God, if you have not uh, made him Lord of your life, you need to know that when you seek him, you will absolutely find him. There is a promise in that. No matter what you've done or where you've been, you may have lost sight of God, but he has not lost sight of you. Um, I kind of think about seeking after God, about like playing hide-and-seek with my two-year-old. 
um, you know, we go, to, we go to play hide and seek, and I say, okay, you go hide. And then I cover up my eyes, and I start counting. And I count, you know, nine, ten. Ready or not, here I come. Where is he? Right there. All right? He's just right there. Or if he's not right in my vision, he's in the corner giggling, giving me clues where he is. And I feel like seeking after God is the same way. You know, once we start the search, once we start to look, it's really just a matter of opening our eyes and looking around because he is putting clues um, of his existence right in front of us. And so I'd encourage us this morning to seek God in our lives, to seek him in our relationships, in our marriages. I mean, think about if we made God the center of our relationship, how much stronger that would make our friendships, that would make our marriages, that would make all of the things around us so much better. Um, the other day, uh, you know, I was considering, uh, we were doing that series on I Don't Know, and maybe you remember there was a message in there called I Don't Know If Jesus Is The Only Way. And so I asked uh, the iPhone what the, you know, is Jesus the only way? Because there's a personal assistant on there, and she'll tell you the answer to things. And so I said, is Jesus the only way? And she said, I don't know. But let me give you an answer. And so then she, this is really cool. She populated an answer right below that said, here's some local churches in your area. And then she said, the first one that came up, LifePoint with a five-star rating. I was so excited. Now, I live pretty close to here, so that's, you know, I, I don't know. But it was pretty awesome for that to happen. But my point is, even my iPhone knows where to find answers, okay? You know, my iPhone knows that if you're looking for spiritual guidance, one of the best places to go is to the local church. And so I'm hoping that you guys are feeling that connection here at our church too, because guidance is not hard to find when you look for it. If you need answers, uh, maybe you need answers about the, the Bible. Uh, and you've read the Bible and you've fallen asleep on it and you've been like, I don't understand, I can't read this, it's too difficult to read. Well, looking for answers, I would, I would question how hard are you looking? Have you talked to somebody about it? Have you gotten in a life group? Have you gotten in a, a group with other guys or other girls just to study that? Have you, uh, have you uh, gone, gone to our youth ministry? Have you been a part of that? Are you asking the tough questions? Maybe about starting point. That's a class for people who just want answers. You could be anywhere on your faith journey and want answers. Uh, what about our relational issues? Are you talking to other people um, who you know are Christ followers and asking the question, hey, I'm going through this. Have you ever been through this in your marriage? Have you ever been through that? Because the answer is probably yes. And maybe they can give you some insight into what Scripture says and what their life experience says, you know? Maybe you have a hurt or a hang-up in your life because we all have hurts and hang-ups in our lives. And I would encourage you to consider checking out our Life's Healing Choices class. This is a class that has transformed people and left them totally uh, renewed um, as they share their story and they let God bring healing into their life. Maybe it's a question of where do I fit? Where's my purpose? How can I get plugged in? And I would just encourage you, we have a class called Connect. You can come right to that class. It'll help you get connected to serving in some way. If you're too, too busy to want to go to that class, which I think it's on Sunday morning, if you're too busy for that, you know what? You could just stay right after church because we always need help with teardown. So if you want to hang out after church, we could totally use help with teardown. That's my plug for teardown. Okay, so moving on. Um, there's many things that you guys can get plugged into, and uh, one of them, uh, a lot of them can start right here at our church. And so I want you to catch something that was really amazing to me. And that was uh, when I looked at the, the way that God communicated to Mary and Joseph and the way that God communicated with the shepherds, that was different from the way that God communicated with the wise men, okay? For the first two, he sent angels. But for these guys, he sent a star. And that's, I was like, why? Why would he send an angel to these people and a star to these people? And I think the difference is the first two, 
they would have understood what an angel was because they were part of that culture. They were part of God's culture. They understood that was typical. Things, not, not necessarily typical, but it was part of their world, right? The wise men, these guys are pagans. They would not have known. They would have not understood this, this uh, encounter with an angel. They wouldn't have been ready for that. But what they did know is the stars. And they, they had searched the stars. They knew the stars. I tell you, if you put a new star in the sky, I would have no idea. I'd just look up there and be like, man, look at the stars tonight. They look great. But, but these guys, when a star showed up, they knew. They knew exactly what they were looking for because God was speaking their language. You can go home and read Acts chapter 2 later, but in that particular passage, there are these guys, the apostles, they don't know how to speak a bunch of languages. They know how to speak one. And yet God used them to proclaim the message of Christ in every known language to the people right there so that everyone would know. God was able to speak everyone's language, and he's able to speak your language. And so the question I'd invite you to write down this morning is, what star is God giving me right now? What is the star? Because you may not be into astronomy, so you may not recognize a star, but you'll recognize something, okay? There's some way in your life that God speaks to you. For me, it's through creation, you know? I marvel at, you know, just when I'm outside and I just look at trees and mountains and ocean and all those things and the intricacies of the human body, just everything about it just screams God to me. And so a lot of times I will get reconnected and refreshed through that. What is it for you? These guys saw a star. It says in verse 2, if you're looking back at the scripture, it says, we saw the star in the east. And then in verse 9 it says, they went on their way and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped. And so I think it's important to note that this star is not like they were like seeing Jupiter and Jupiter was moving around or something. Like this is not like a confusion. This is not a normal star. This is some kind of supernatural star. And the cool thing about this star is that it led them directly to Christ. And so I would encourage you to understand that God is going to lead you in the same way. Maybe your star looks like an invitation here. Maybe it's some invitation to get connected to another group. Maybe it's this prompting that, hey, I want to do more. I want to give more. I want to be a part of something bigger. Whatever it is, follow the star. Last week, there was this teenage boy by the name of Kevin Lunsman. Maybe you read about this in the news. Um, he escaped. He was, uh, he was held hostage for five months in the Philippines. And he escaped his captors, but he didn't know where he was. He was in the middle of the jungle. And so what he decided to do was follow a river until it led somewhere. So for two days, he walked down this, this river barefoot until he found something. He found his freedom. And I think in the same way, we may not know exactly where we're going when we start out on the journey, but following God's path, following the light that we can see in the darkness around us will at least take us to a place where we can continue to move towards our freedom. Maybe this morning you're in here and you're struggling with darkness all around you, and that's difficult. When, when things seem dark, one of the cool things is that light penetrates darkness. And so while it may be hard to find, there is a light, and it is calling you out of that darkness. Please move away from, from what's around you and move towards it, because God will provide light. In Isaiah 58, 11, it says this, The Lord will guide you always. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. God's given you this star. He's put a star in your life. Now, maybe you're in here this morning, you're saying, I've already accepted the message of Christ. I've already found my star. You know, I've already searched and I've already found. What am I supposed to do? 
And I would just say a couple things. Number one, God's a God of creation. So if you're feeling stuck in your faith, understand that God can call you to do new things. He wants to create in you a new life. And that means continually, not just one time, right? He wants to keep moving you forward. All right, another thing I would say is if you feel stuck, ask this question. I encourage you to write it down. Whose star am I right now? Whose star am I right now? Now, if there's not a name that pops in your head or you can't write down a name of somebody that you are acting as a star to, then you need to understand that the Bible says that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And Jesus says, you are a light. Don't put your light under a basket. Put it on a hill where everybody can see it. God is calling us to be a light to the people around us. If you leave here with nothing else and you go home and you consider, who am I being a star to right now? That is huge. That is a huge thing. So, uh, and, and one last thing, I guess, on that. I would encourage you, if you need a, a scripture to meditate on, a scripture that's really been powerful to me in this arena is 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. Okay, not John 3, 16, but 1 John 3, 16 through 18. Uh, I just encourage you to go home and read it. So how are you going to respond to Herod and, and to the wise men's example today? How are you going to respond to this interruption of the baby Jesus? Are you going to be like Herod where you just like, you know, just try to fight away anything that could possibly mean that you have to give up control? Or are you going to be like the wise men? Let's read about what they did when they encountered Jesus in Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. And when they, saw the, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. When the magi, the wise men, went into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and they offered him gifts of gold frankincense, and myrrh. They were, they were so excited. This is like excitement beyond excitement. And when they got there, they gave him everything that they had. Three very precious, very precious treasures, which all mean something inadvertently. So the, the gold is, is meant for a king. That's the gift for a king. The frankincense is like incense that you would burn on the altar. It's a priestly gift, essentially saying, you are God. So first they're saying, Jesus, you are king. Second, they're saying, Jesus, you are God. And the third is myrrh. Myrrh is an ancient embalming thing, it, it, embalming fluid. It's used to, uh, to preserve dead bodies, which may be a weird gift for a baby, but it's very prophetic to say, Jesus, we know that you're going to die in our place, and ultimately you are going to be our Savior. So these three very special gifts that were very expensive and very meaningful to them are essentially an admission of, Jesus, you are my king. Jesus, you are my God. And Jesus, you are my savior. That's what they're saying with these gifts this morning. And so what gift do you have this morning? What gift are you bringing to the table? You know, when you come and you recognize uh, Jesus for who he is, what are you bringing him? Are you bringing him your heart? And so as we wrap up this series and as we remember uh, the, the Mary and Joseph's opportunity to obey and to serve, and as we remember the, uh, uh, the shepherd's opportunity to go and to worship, and as we look today at the wise men and their ability to give everything and to admit that Christ is who, is, who he said he is, I just want to challenge you to know that if you seek after God wherever you are in your relationship with him, you will be found. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for your heart that loves us beyond imagination. God, thank you so much that you 
seek after us even when we don't seek after you. God, thank you for the example that you've laid in Scripture of people who've surrendered their entire lives to your plan. God, when the interruptions come, when the things that, that don't seem like they're in your, that, that are in our plan come into our lives from you, God, I just pray that we would follow them. I pray that we would, we would look for a star around us and that we would chase after it, not just like chasing a half a day's journey, but with all-out reckless abandon for who you are. God, I pray this morning that you would wreck our lives for you. I pray that, that there would be people in here this morning that would come to know you because they sought you. And I pray that there, were, there are people in here who know you who would go into a deeper relationship with you because this season, it's not about gifts and it's not about parties. It's about the one who came to save us, God. And I just pray this morning that you would infect us with your spirit. I pray these things in your holy name. Amen.